Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. Today, I got a short and sweet little episode for you that I think could be very helpful. It's called The Nudge You Need. We all need a little nudge sometimes. This is uh, something that is, uh, helps us propel forward, helps us move forward, but is done so in such a way that it doesn't cause a shock to the system and where we react or resist. A change imposed is always change opposed. But a little nudge here and there, well, that can help. And I always felt, as a salesperson, my job was to help people make decisions. Either, hey, this is the right house for you, or this is the not the right house for you. And I was okay giving people the necessary nudge. People who were sitting there and they're vacillating back and forward, and I'd ask them the questions, hey, this is what you said, this is what you're looking for, this is what you want, is this the one? Is this the house you'd like to make an offer on? And I would do that. Not to be a pushy salesperson because I was interested in the long-term relationship with the customer, but ultimately the necessary nudge. And people many times afterwards were very, very thankful they got the necessary nudge. A great example of this is a story my good friend Joe Nego tells. And Joe, 6'5", played basketball, was second-round draft choice of the Houston Rockets. And I always found it ironic that a guy who was so tall was actually afraid of heights. And one of the things on his bucket list was to jump out of an airplane, right, and parachute. And so he signed up for a tandem parachute jump where the instructor's on your back and they pull the cord and you fly down together. And so he'd worked to this, he'd practiced for this, uh, he went to the parachute jump the day of the, the jump, the instructor went over everything on the ground, they practiced everything on the ground, he had the equipment, he knew what was going to happen, they described how it was going to look. They get up into the plane. Now he's excited. He's going to do this jump. He's always wanted to do it. It's uh, conquering one of his fears, knocking something off his bucket list. This is all going to be great. The door opens up and one by one, each instructor with each person who's going in the tandem jump with him, he say, are you ready? And the response was go or no. And so every first person gets the door. Are you ready? Go. They jump out together. Next one. Are you ready? go. They jump out together. And so however many people went in front of Joe, then he gets to the door, the instructor's behind him, and he taps him on the shoulder and again, it's loud. The door's open, the wind is whistling, the engines of the plane, they got helmets on. Are you ready? And Joe paralyzes. He just freezes up and says no. And the guy pushes him out anyway. And they jump. And after the initial shock of going out the door and then hurtling to the ground, and then the parachute opens up, and now all of a sudden it's peaceful, and it's magnificent, and there's this huge view. And But Joe was kind of frustrated. He's kind of a very ethical guy, and he said, he shouts back to the guy, I told you no. And the guy said, oh, I thought you said go. And Joe goes, oh. <laughs> so anyway, they enjoy the ride down. It's a great story. They land on the ground. They pack up the parachutes. They get into the van, and everybody's taking them back to the where the, the centers where they parked their cars and paid their fees. And Joe said, look, I, you know, I know I said no, but I'm glad we went. And it was a great thing. And it's, it was a thrill. And it was something I wanted to do. I just got a little scared. And the instructor kind of winked at him and says, you know, sometimes we all need a little nudge. And Joe kind of got from that, that maybe the guy heard no, but he said go anyway, because he knew Joe was up for it. And he knew it was the right thing to do. And we all need a necessary nudge sometimes. 
And so let's talk about that. And I've got three things for you, as I always do. The first thing I want to talk about, that it's hard to push yourself. You know, would Joe have ever really pushed himself out to play in that day? Maybe not. I think he's gone on to do several more jumps since then. But it was a great experience that he got confidence from because he did it. It's hard to push yourself. I'm going to talk about the truth of why the necessary nudge is important, especially in business. We're going to talk about numbers, not stories. And then lastly, we'll talk about the nudge you need. So let's dive into it. You know, it is hard to push yourself. A great example of this is Roger Bannister and the four-minute mile. He died just a few years ago, Sir Roger Bannister. And he's the man who broke the four-minute mile. Now, at the time, the four-minute mile was considered impossible. It actually, medical experts said a person's heart would explode. There was a giant psychological barrier. And Roger Bannister was a medical student. And so he's 25 years of age, and he's actually studying the science of running. He broke it down into science. He broke it down into training. And then he realized something. If I'm going to do something that's considered impossible, I can't do it by myself. So Sir Roger Bannister, that's a name that'll be remembered forever, like Sir Edmund Hillary and Neil Armstrong. First man on the moon, first person to climb Everest, first person to break the four-minute mile. Each one of these people will always talk about all the people that helped them there because you can't push yourself. The reason the four-minute mile got beaten was because of Chris Basher and Chris Chathaway. Those are two names that fervent historians of sports wouldn't know. People who studied the four-minute mile, it's hard to find these names. I dug it up. Chris Brasher, he was actually a steeplechase runner, and he said, I'm going to set the pace. So it was the first time ever where a runner realized, I need help in order to do something great. So Chris Brasher said, I'm going to run at this pace to get you so that when you're halfway there, you'll be right on track if you stay on my shoulder to break the four-minute mile. And then Chris Brasher ran that race. Bannister was on his shoulder, and then Brasher dropped off the pace. As Brasher drops off the pace, Chris Chathaway comes along and provides the necessary nudge. And now he runs the third lap to get it. Okay, now we got into this exact moment. You know exactly what you need to do. And he needed to run the last lap in 59 seconds. So when Chris Chathaway broke away, Bannister knows 59 seconds, I break the four-minute mile. And he did. Now, what was considered impossible and had been considered medically impossible can't be done. Psychological barrier, this couldn't be done. And we, people were years and years and years and years trying to do this. Once this format came down and people got the help they needed and pushed along, the record was broken. By the way, the record was then broken very quickly afterwards. In fact, 1,663 people have broken the four-minute mile since then. So it turns out it wasn't that impossible at all. But it's hard to push yourself. And Roger Bannister was the first guy who realized that a solitary sport like running, just like sometimes a solitary sport like being in business for yourself, we all need help. It's hard to push yourself. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We all need help. I don't know why the human condition says, if I need help, that's a sign of weakness. If I need help, it means I'm not capable. 
I'll do it myself. That's the Darth Vader line, right? And that's, I'm going to go kill Luke Skywalker. I'll take him myself. It turns out he didn't, by the way. With all the power of Darth Vader, I'll take him myself. Darth Vader didn't take him himself. Why? Because Luke Skywalker had help. At the critical moment, here comes Han Solo. And off to the races they go and they win. Luke Skywalker had help. Roger Bannister had help. I get help. Everybody needs help. Now, the reason why it's hard to push yourself is actually a term called homeostasis. And it comes from two Greek words, homeo, meaning similar, and stasis, meaning stable. And there's been a lot of work done on the subject of homeostasis. I've been working with this my whole life to some degree to pass my own comfort zones and to help people get past theirs. And so the tendency here with homeostasis is towards a relatively stable equilibrium between independent elements. It also then obviously is a psychological process, which is the ability of an organism to maintain internal stability when faced with environmental changes. And this is constantly at play in our body. Our body does this all the time. Homeostasis creates order, creates balance in our system. And there's a positive to homeostasis. But what happens with homeostasis, it becomes homeostasis in our routines, homeostasis in our habits, homeostasis in our experiences, where we live, how we live, how we comfort ourselves, what we do. Homeostasis. Guy comes home, you know, drinks every night after work, gets drunk. It's homeostasis. It's a comfort zone. Instead of reading a book, surfing the net. Homeostasis. Instead of getting out of bed to work out, stay in bed. Homeostasis. And so that's one of the reasons why change is hard. Is because homeostasis, which has positive balance for us, gives us a sense of stability, can also keep us down. I always think about Brooks Hadlin in the Shawshank Redemption. When he got released from prison, he killed himself. Because homeostasis was, he'd been locked up in prison for 54 years. Second thing about how why it's so hard to push ourselves is that there's comfort in the comfort zone. It's called the comfort zone. Who doesn't want comfort? When you go to sleep at night, just many of us sleep under a comforter. The best-selling foods are comfort foods. What are the things that make us comfortable? Who wants to be uncomfortable? Right? You've got to be a masochist, right? The problem is nothing great has ever happened to you in your life inside your comfort zone. Success is not born in a comfort zone. Success is born outside the comfort zone. Neil Donald Walsh says, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. John Asaraf said, the comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing grows there. And so Brian Tracy's been talking about this for decades, saying the comfort zone is the great enemy of courage and confidence. The comfort zone is comfortable. We have to expand beyond it. When we write goals, we can expand beyond it. When we get exposed to different people and different experiences, we can expand beyond it. I often wonder why people live in tough situations and stay there. It's obviously because the comfort zone is so strong. It's so strong that even if it's a bad situation in a bad environment, it's what we know. And what we know, right? The, the old phrase at home, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. And so it's not changed just for the sake of it. But it's positive change. It means we have to leave the comfort zone to do it. And then lastly, the reason why it's hard to push ourselves is because the stories we tell ourselves. And I cover this in Season 1, Episode 299. But we tell ourselves stories, and those stories wrap around and validate our comfort zone. You wake up and you want to go work out. I must be very tired. I'd probably do well with another rest. You know, I'm really stressed out. You know what? I, I need to do something for myself. I just need to back off and, you know, reduce the stress. And what I'm going to do there 
eat this or do that. Doesn't mean it's positive. Doesn't mean it benefits us, right? Stephen Covey says we judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their actions. We do that ourselves with our stories. But when we hear somebody telling a story that's an excuse, we know it's an excuse. We know that's just a story. We recognize it. Why do we recognize it? Because we're real good at it ourselves. When I interviewed John Deloney, he said, you can decide what to think about, what to focus on, whether to be curious or to judge, and how to interpret and implement. He was talking about ultimately breaking out, and that for many people, anxiety has become their comfort zone, even though it's uncomfortable. So it is hard to push ourselves. That's why human beings were designed to be in fellowship with one another. People are hard. I agree. They're most difficult things in life. I agree. Most challenging things in life, personal relationships. But human beings are designed to be together. And so we all need a little help and we all need to push each other. Here's the second thing. Numbers, not stories. Right? When it gets to the nudge you need, focus on the numbers, not the stories. Lord Calvin said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Big believer in this. And especially in running a coaching company where we're trying to help people with their business performance. You know, when I met with our team years ago when they were designing the CRM referral maker, so we built this best-in-class, award-winning CRM for your relationships, I said to the team, I want the opportunity for people to fill in their numbers, and I want the boxes they fill in to be small. So there's only room for a number. There's not room for the story. Like, here's why I didn't do it. Here's what happened. No, because at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers. And in that case, the numbers don't lie. You know, one of the people who figured this out years and years ago was Weight Watchers. And Weight Watchers instituted what was a very uncomfortable system. And it's interesting, like many others, they backed off a lot of this today. But the original Weight Watchers, you got together in a group of 10 or 12 people every week, and you weighed in. They've helped 4.6 million people worldwide lose weight. And yes, they have the foods, and yes, now they have the online stuff. But I don't care what they say, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, they were at their most effective when it created this discomfort for people where they were getting a push and people had to show up and people had to show up and step on a scale. And because they had to show up and step on a scale, they actually did the work. So again, numbers, not stories. In your business, for example, when we're teaching people to generate referrals, we ask them, how many calls are you making to your database? How many notes are you writing? Personal notes. How many Popeyes do you do? Go and visit somebody, bringing them a little gift. How many business luncheons are you having? How many client parties are you having? What are you doing? How many activities are you doing in a day? How many leads do you have based on the leads? How many transactions? What's the average sales price? What's your average income? What's your expenses? It's all numbers. It's all numbers. Now, it's psychological by, in nature because people don't feel a certain way. And sometimes people are doing real well. But we, we have this dynamic in coaching where people don't feel like they're doing well, but they're doing the activities that are going to lead to the results, and they don't feel good because they're not seeing the results right away. Just like you can be working out and exercising, you're just judging yourself by the scale. Well, that's not the only way to measure how well you're doing. In fact, it's one of the least effective ways to measure how you're doing. Now, it is important, but it's one of the least effective ways. So the numbers are important. Let me give you an example about numbers. So recently, just had a conversation with the head of our coaching department, Dave McGee. And I asked Dave, okay, because we have people who in different levels of membership work on our program. We have people who are in the ultimate level, which is coaching. We have people who we provide all their marketing and solutions and their CRM and their contact managements for. 
And then we have people who just use the contact management system. And it's interesting to see the different results with the different groups of people. So the coaching is obviously the people who are getting the necessary nudge. They're in a coaching call at least every two weeks. 90% of the people in our coaching actually set their goals in the contact management system. And 75% update their numbers on a regular basis. So the people who are getting the necessary nudge do very well. They put their goals in there and they put their action steps in there, what they've actually done. They put their numbers in. Those not in coaching, it's about half. So they do about 50% put their goals in and about 25% put their activities and transactions in because they're not getting the necessary nudge. They don't have someone on a phone, old school, on a Zoom call, talking to them, hold them accountable. So the people in coaching put their numbers in at 75% and the people not in coaching put their numbers in at 25%. Both are getting great systems. Both are working a program that works beautifully and both are getting results. But the people in the coaching are getting results at three times, by the way. The average income of the person in the coaching is three times that of the person who just does the system. And by the way, it's exactly three times the monitoring and the measuring of the activities because the activities produce the results. And that's why numbers are important and not stories. This also works for health and wellness. So there's certain numbers there. Okay, so in your health, what's your blood pressure? What's your cholesterol? What's your blood sugar? There's other numbers. What's your weight? Important. What are the inches? What's the body fat percentage? Then, okay, I want to I progress. Okay, what's the number of workouts? How many days a week? How many reps are you doing on each workout? What foods am I eating? Maybe you keep a food journal. And you start to look at the numbers. And I had an epiphany in this years and years ago when I met with Dr. Alex Lackey, who was the most organized man in America. We've played an interview I did with him years ago. A hugely influential man in my life. He asked me to notate, set off a little timer, and that every 15 minutes in a workday, write down what I did in that day. And obviously, I knew I was going to go meet him for lunch. I was putting my best foot forward. So I I had really effective days that I was doing the 15-minute exercise. And yet, when I met with him, I was shocked at how much time I was wasting in a day. And when we tightened up, not go to perfect, but when I tightened up the calendar, reduced some of the time I was wasting, mysteriously, my income doubled. And then the next year, doubled again. And that happened for five consecutive years for me when I was in practice. So it's very, very powerful. So when your health, same thing happens. You know, what are the numbers? What are you doing? Where are you at? And then what are you doing about it? And so, okay, the scale didn't move, but did the inches move? The inches didn't move, did the body fat move? And they typically do move together. But in the meantime, what's the workouts? What's the days? What's the reps? What are you doing? You know, Robert Collier said, success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. Even if you're not seeing the progress, do the work, you'll get the results. Virgil said, the greatest wealth is health. So we're all trying to get better and be successful. The number one source of success is health, right? No point in being a gazillionaire and stuffing it in the coffin. We want to be as healthy as we can. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence is not an act, it's a habit. So we make a habit. And now we're talking about making a habit of the numbers, making a habit of keeping track. Now, all of a sudden, we're not living in the stories, we're living in the numbers. And then lastly, with your finances, okay? Do you keep track? What's your income? What's your expenses? I talk to people all the time about finances, and when it comes to their home budgets and expenses, and even their business budgets, they go, I don't know where it goes. I just don't know where it goes. And when I bring in more money, I don't know where it goes. We paid off this bill, 
freed up a thousand dollars, but I don't have a thousand bucks in my account every month at the end of the month. It just disappears. I don't know where it goes. Well, you got to record the numbers. You got to have honest conversations with yourself. You got to do the tracking. What's your income? What's your expenses? A good thing to keep track of in economics is your net worth. Once a quarter, you should just check in on your net worth. Do you have stocks? Do you have investments? What's the worth of your real estate? How much cash do you have on hand? Assets, less liabilities. That's your net worth. How are you doing? Check in once a quarter. Even if it's slow and incremental progress, it's progress. Ultimately, Ben Franklin, who was America's first millionaire, said your net worth to the world is usually determined by what remains after your bad habits are subtracted from your good ones. That's so good. That's so good. James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, said, I accumulated small but consistent habits that ultimately led to results that were unimaginable when I started. I've lived that. I live that every day. At times, I take stock of where I am at, or my bride and I are sitting down, and she'll turn to me and go, can you believe from where we started to where we are? And I'll go, yeah. And you know, I don't really think about it. I'm on to the next thing. But when I do, it's like, that was unimaginable. That was unimaginable. I remember when I first came to America and I first got exposed to goal setting. And I know this is small-minded thinking, but it's where I came from. You know, I, I didn't even know how to drive a car when I came to America, and I never thought I'd own one. And I remember thinking, you know, not only did I own a car, I ended up owning a jet for 17 years. Like, how in the heck is that? That was unimaginable. What caused that? Little habits day by day. Little routines day by day. Little disciplines day by day. Someone who helped push me along the way all the time, bit by bit, bit by bit. And that's where I really want to finish up today. I want to talk about the nudge you need. There's a couple of different ways to go and a couple of different ways to participate, and I'm going to challenge you to participate in them all. So first of all, find birds of a feather. We all know that birds of a feather flock together. If you want to fly with the eagles, you can't hang with the turkeys. So you need to find birds of a feather. It's one of the biggest, most powerful things that's happened as a consequence of our business is that so many of these growth-focused people who follow our program, who are also into personal growth and development, they love hanging out with one another. So when we do these events, there's thousands of them show up, and they connect, and they interact, and they go to dinner together, and sometimes they take cruises together, and they're meeting and hanging out because birds of a feather want to flock together. And so Jim Rohn said you become successful like the five people you spend most of your time with. So choose carefully who you spend your time with. Mark Twain said, Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. That quote's very powerful for me because when I first started Buffini & Company 26 years ago, at the very first seminar I ever did, that was the first quote I ever used. And I, I believe it today like I believed it then. Oprah Winfrey says, surround yourself with those who only lift you higher. She knows. Okay, she came out of poverty, came out of misery, became a billionaire and one of the most influential people, not only in American culture, but worldwide culture. So find birds of a feather and spend time with them. Get them on your calendar. Find birds of a feather, get them on your schedule and spend time with them. Next, get training and coaching. I know that's somewhat self-serving for a guy who owns a training and coaching company, but it works. Like I mentioned, you know how our folks do and they put their numbers in. The average person who comes to us is making $33,000 when they start with us. And within three to five years, our average client today is making $310,000. And we have people making millions and millions, but like from 33 to 310, almost a tenfold increase. In a fairly short, three to five years, pretty short period of time. Those are people living different lives. Why? 
because they're getting training, getting coaching. Very important what those words mean. Training, I-N-G. It's a verb. It means it's ongoing. Coaching. Not like trained, coached. Oh, I did that once. I go to the gym. I'm working out six days a week. It's not like, oh no, I worked out in February. I'm good. I go to church every week. I'm, oh, the spiritual circle is fine. I went to church last Easter. It's ongoing. You know, it's eating. It's working out. It's an ongoing verb. And that's the power of, you know, you get the training so you can improve. You get you exposed to things. You get the coaching so you get the necessary nudge to perform. And then what does it produce? Consistency. But a consistency at a much higher level than you ever had before. A much higher level. Brian Tracy said consistency paired with self-discipline is crucial to achieving your goals and being successful. So it's consistency and discipline. Training, coaching. John Wooden, the great coach, said a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. No doubt about it. And then lastly, the nudge they need. I'm going to encourage all of you as people who listen to this show, as people who I'm sure, the only way you could keep listening to this program is you take action on some of it. You know, it's not very entertaining. I mean, it can be, it has entertaining moments. But nobody's signing on to binge watch Brian Buffini because he keeps asking you to do stuff. He keeps encouraging you to change your business and change your life and set some goals and do some things. If you're not doing it, I mean, there's no way someone's just listening to this over and over and over again and never does a thing with it. This, I just don't think it's possible. Ultimately, someone, when they're ready, is going to take a bit of ownership and going to go do something with the information they're hearing. And as you grow, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Take someone in the carpool lane of success. Take them with you. Bring somebody else along. Someone willing. Someone who wants it. Don't make the mistakes I've made, which is, oh, I'm going to get this person to be successful if it kills me. And it almost did. I'm talking about the hungry ones, the one that'll surprise you. People in your life, people in your business, people in your journey along as you go, who you meet, who are curious, they ask questions, they ask for advice. You share a book with them, they read it. Like, that's one of the tips for me. It's like, when somebody asks me for advice and I give them a book and they don't read it, they never get advice from me again, ever, ever. Not out of maliciousness, but actually, I don't want to hurt the person. Because now, all of a sudden, this person's going to just hear more and more of what they're not. If they won't read the book or take the time or listen to the program, I'm not going to waste my breath. There's so many people who need it. You are success-driven people. You are the achievers. You're the ones who listen to this stuff. You're the one who put it in place. Many of you are clients of Buffini Company. You're taking the training. You're doing the coaching. You're already in. So now take somebody with you. You have a lot to offer. You have a lot to offer. You're not someone who's conforming to the culture and listening to the news. You're listening to other stuff and you're reading other books and listening to other podcasts. And so take someone along with you. Zig Ziglar said, when you encourage others, you are in the process of being encouraged yourself because you're making a commitment to that person's life. Encouragement really does make a difference. And so that's the truth. It's impossible to shine a light to someone else's path without shining a light to your own. Unbeknownst to me, really, I didn't realize how much this business would change my life in an effort to try to change other people's lives, which is what gets me out of bed in the morning. It also causes me to live what I teach, to be held accountable to it, and to actually put into practice the things I'm talking about. And Frank said, no one ever becomes poor by giving. Charles Dickens said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. So we know it's hard to push ourselves. We know there's a comfort zone we all get stuck in and it's comfortable. 
and we know we tell ourselves stories. We know that in order to get the nudge we need, we have to put in numbers and not listen to stories, whether it's our business, our health, or our finances. And then we know that if we get the nudge we need, we need to hang out with birds of a feather, people who think like us, work like us, want to be in a better place in life and business. Continually get the training and the coaching as an ongoing lifestyle. And then ultimately take someone in the carpool lane yourself and help someone become more successful. Well, that's what I have for you today. I hope it was beneficial to you. I hope it's a blessing to you. I'm going to leave you today with a little Irish blessing from a little Irish woman, my mother, Therese Buffini. Over to you, ma'am. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.